Hi everyone, welcome to the show. My name is Emily. And I'm Paige. And today we're doing a live reading of Chapter 38 of Breaking Dawn, Power. And you're listening to Tuesdays Are for Twilight. How's your week? I just filled my entire body full of McDonald's french fries, and I am feeling so good inside. I, I, I can't explain it. I Are you a ketchup girly or no? Mm-mm. I, I kind of thought that. I am a huge ketchup McDonald's french fry girly. I love, I just love the dipping. I think it's very nostalgic for me. I used to get McDonald's a lot with my mom. And also it's delicious. So I can't argue with that. I'm kind of surprised that they're gluten-free. I don't know. I mean, they're just really potatoes. Yeah, I guess I just think of the environment of McDonald's and being like, nothing about that screams like following code. Uh, Don't get me wrong. I love McDonald's. I'm not talking shit. I'm just saying. I'm going to be completely honest with you and the listeners. We're going to lay it all on the line here. So... My experience with celiac disease is a unique one, I would say, in that I really don't have symptoms. The only reason that I got diagnosed is because there's a high correlation with type 1 diabetes and celiac disease. So oftentimes when you see an endocrinologist for type 1 diabetes, they will blood test you regularly to test for whatever antibody is released in your body when you have celiac disease and you eat gluten. And just one time in eighth grade, it was really, really high. And the doctor said you should get a scope done, which is like they sedate you and then put a a camera down your throat and then look at your intestines and stuff. And I, I got that done. And I guess like the moment the doctor saw my small intestine, he was like, oh, yeah, this girl has celiac disease, the like damage in her small intestine, definitely for sure. Which to me, I'm like, shouldn't I have been experiencing symptoms if that was the case? But like the symptoms for people with celiac disease is like, like bad stomach stuff, like throwing up stomach aches, pooping a lot, like that kind of stuff. And I was experiencing none of that. And to this day, I really don't like unless I I mean, here's the thing. I've been on the diet now for so long that if I do eat something like it's not cross contamination, if I physically eat a quantity, a substantial quantity of gluten, I do have a reaction. But I never had any reactions to gluten before I was diagnosed. And I probably for a while would never have been diagnosed because because of that. So here's what I'm getting at. When I have something that was cooked in the same oil as gluten, I have no reaction whatsoever. You're right. You're absolutely right. I probably shouldn't. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Diabetes is going to take me young. I may as well have the fries while I can. You know, if it's not making me sick, I may as well have a good time, you know? Wait, why would you say that, though? You can live a long life. I do, maybe. <laughs> this is dark. <laughs> I've come to terms with it. You know, it's I'm I'm having a good time. What, what do you mean? I haven't. This is the first time hearing of it. You know, the thing is, is that I I'm taking care of myself. It's not like I'm not taking care of myself. But we have to take into consideration that I do have a chronic illness that there's a chance that my lifespan won't be as long. You know, we don't really need to talk about 
about this on the podcast. We don't need to be a bummer. We could talk about um something else. <laughs> well, now I can't unthink it. So I just feel like science is getting there and probably it'll figure it out. But by the time you're old, I bet. We'll see. And I mean, who's to say? Maybe the Earth's going to explode in like five years. I mean, who's to say? There is that. Yeah. Yeah. This is like not doing great for my mood today. I'm not going to lie, but I do have a glass of red wine, so hopefully it'll help. <laughs> I think it'll be really good for you. Um, I I shared a story with friend of the pod ads uh, on Instagram the other day. Uh, I'm trying to think of what we were talking about that even brought it on. Oh, I think they brought up that they were they they were running or something um, for they were starting running. And it reminded me, have I told you the story of the first time that I, quote unquote, went running? Did, I feel like we talked about this a few weeks ago and you said that you were like in Converse or something, right? That's true. That is true. When I went running with Liddy, I did wear Converse. But this was in high school this first time. OK, I don't think I know this one. Please tell. So as a girly was in high school in 2012, I was really invested in having a thigh gap. So I was like, how am I going to lose weight? I'm going to go running. The joke's on me because I was a thick bitch and it was never going to happen. But, you know, I digress. Um, And so I that was never an exercise that like I ever did, nor no one in my family at the time. That was not a thing. I was not friends with anyone who was running. So when you hear the word running, what do you picture in your head? Running, you know, like, like if you don't know and you hear people go running, the only definition of the word running that you know is running, you know? Do you mean like sprinting? Like, is that what you're getting at? Yeah. Like when I'm th- when I'm here, when I hear like I went running, I'm picturing like as fast as you can go. That's unfortunate. I'm very curious as to where this leads. I went running. So I I went out of my neighborhood. I went to like the neighborhood over like or like the street over. So like I didn't know any of the people. And I just started running down the street and I ran by a man on his porch and we made very brief eye contact and his like he looked genuinely like confused why there was a 16 year old girl sprinting as fast as she could down the street. And I was a little embarrassed, like to be perceived, I guess, but I didn't really think anything of it until the first time someone like I saw someone, quote unquote, going for a run. And I was like, is that how fast you're supposed to go? And I'm mortified about it to this day. Like, what was that man thinking? I feel so bad. I feel like he was probably wondering, like, what you were running from. Like, I feel like at least if I saw that, I'd be a little bit concerned. Like, is she okay? You know what I was running from? The truth. (laughs) Do you remember when, like, what the circumstances were that you found out? I think I just saw someone doing it, like, like going for a jog. And 
I I just kind of thought about it and I was like, have you ever seen someone running like on the street, like through the neighborhood? You Have you ever seen someone? And then I guess just the more I critically thunk about it, I was like, I think you were wrong. I think you and like also if I'm taking into consideration softball, like in high school, when you're running in sports, you're running, you know, so it's kind of what I was thinking, like just recreationally, you know, but I was wrong. That has such page energy to it. It's like so wholesome. Also, (laughs) did you ever do it again after that time? Like, did you keep doing it? Oh, no, that was a singular time. And then I, instead of doing that, what I did was I did exercises in quotes in my room, which was basically me dancing around to Party Rock Anthem by LMFAO, which I mean is better than nothing. Yeah, like I think about that game, that Wii game Just Dance and how much of a workout that was. Like, I feel like it was probably similar to that. Mm -hmm. I recently put on like a 2010s, like playlist on Spotify and that song came on or was it no that's the one where they say um wiggle 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 yeah yes I think so yeah and I remember I was really I was really into that song and I just remember dancing around to it in a tiny little corner of my room that I had room to do it. And I'm like, yeah, I'm a fit girly. I'm into fitness, you know? <laughs> I was also really into that song. Also, I want to pull just the clip of you sing- saying wiggle, 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 yeah, like in the most monotone voice and like make it into a song. Reaction gif. Every time something joyous happens, Paige goes wiggle, 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 yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Um, Would you like to go first on Recommendations Corner this week? Sure. This is a page classic. When I say it, Emily, you're going to know that I love it. Um, This this is one of those things where sometimes you want to feel fancy on a budget. And everyone knows what my favorite food is. Everyone on the podcast knows. We've heard me say it a million times. But sometimes getting sushi from the restaurant is just, it takes a long time. It's a little expensive. Grocery store sushi. It will always be there for you. There's always the nigiris. There's the simple tuna roll. There's the simple salmon rolls. There's always a simple California roll. Sometimes there's the crunchies. Sometimes there's a poke bowl, honestly. But it's always there for you. Is it great quality? No. Is it terrible quality? Sometimes, but not all the time. Sometimes it just hits the spot, and I love it. I love that also. I don't think I've ever had it, but I love a good poke bowl, and it's been forever, so I might I might give it a shot. I think you should. I, I got one from the grocery store, and I thought it was good enough that I would try it from a pokey restaurant. <laughs> That's, yeah, very validating for that sushi. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> My recommendation is a life hack that I saw on TikTok. And it came about because before we started recording, Paige was talking about how she has a really old phone and she's maxed out on her storage and she always has to be deleting stuff. So I saw this on TikTok, like right at the beginning of this year, 2023. And so I cannot take credit for it. I wish I had the user, but it is lost in space. Like, you know, I was just scrolling. Um, But anyway, she suggested this. You go into your photos app on your phone and there's a search bar. And you, every single day, search the date of, like, the day that it is. 
and then those photos that you've taken on that day in any year will come up and then you can just delete those and it's it's kind of fun because it's like oh that's what i was doing on january 3rd 2016 you know and then you can delete it that way it's like less overwhelming than like having to go through your whole camera roll you know so i've just pulled up my photos from 131 of previous years i'd like to show them to you i'm excited so the first photo is just a selfie of me is it a nude (laughs) it's not a nude but it's pre-accutane and there's so few photos of that but you can see my ombre from when i dyed my hair green and all the green had come out so it was blonde so that was my blonde era um (laughs) two photos well actually three cat photos one odysseus handsome one is a collage of Addie, <laughs> and then one is Tina sitting on my back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This photo is from the Hogwarts um, app game, and I nickname I name my character's pet Tina, and my character is saying I should have known Tina was bound to get into mischief. That's accurate. Yep, that's why I took a screenshot of it. This photo is of from the Museum of the Ancient um, Sanitary Napkin that was recovered and is in the archaeological record, I think is super cool. This is a bracelet that's carved to look like a tiny little mouse made of seashell. So cute. And then this photo, it's captioned Wall Street. You took my only food. Now I'm going to starve. And it has $28.5 trillion in debt, basically. (laughs) Patrick Star meme. And then the last photo is uh, Yu-Gi-Oh cards with a condom thrown in. Truly a smorgasbord of everything that makes you you. I guess so. I mean, honestly, yeah, there is a lot lot of me going on in there. I'm saying it's fun and you kind of can get a task done at the same time. This is a really good tip. I appreciate that because I have so many memes and like screenshots saved that this is helpful. Yeah, as a snip snip girly, as friend of the pot of Remy would call it, I have so many pictures of people I no longer acknowledge the existence of. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I gotta get rid of those. <laughs> the last time I got an, uh, this kind of notification on my phone, I went through my texts and went to the very bottom and deleted conversations from like people that like I haven't thought about in eight years. And I hit the point of my like Tinder doing my my all days. And I was like, I don't even know who these people are. Delete, delete, delete. You're on a level I will never be on because I have my text set to delete after 30 days. I it couldn't be me. All right. Anyways, so we don't have anything to talk about beforehand this week because we are just going to read chapter 38 live. Paige, I mean, I'd hate to speak for you. Do you have anything you want to say before we start? Well, the thing is, is I was thinking about this and I was like, you know, this is probably going to be how many chapters are after this? One. The conclusion chapter? Right. There's no epilogue there. Well, I was going to say, I was thinking that there were like two or three more chapters after this. So that actually kind of changes things a little bit for me, because I was thinking that 
the reason that you would be reading this out loud is because something dramatic is going to happen. And now I don't not think that that's going to happen, but knowing that there's only one other chapter after this, I mean, this is it. We got to wrap a lot of things up here. This is, this is the, the like climax probably followed by a little falling action. So this is going to be, I think like, this is it. So that would explain why we're reading it out loud. And I'm not going to say that there's not going to be something dramatic happening. I really do think that we're going to have some kind of major minor character deaths. I t- I still, I, 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 I really in my heart, I don't want it to be, but I feel like Leah is going to sacrifice herself. And I don't want her to. She deserves more than that. There's been so much of the Sam, Leah, Emily triad thing. And obviously, Leah's been so torn up about it. And I I feel like Stephanie would want to maybe, like, close up that storyline. So I could totally see maybe Sam dying or maybe Emily dying, not Emily, sorry, Leah dying um, to force a closure on that in some way. Um, I think there's going to be some wolf death. I don't think Jacob would die if Seth dies. Oh my God. I haven't even thought about that. If Seth dies, mm, mm, no, ma'am, I don't, I'm not going to like that. Um, And I don't, I I don't know if I don't think a Colin will die. But I feel like they introduced enough of the other characters that there's enough of them to supplement. Like if if there is some kind of death quota to fill, we have enough of the other characters that Stephanie might feel comfortable killing them so as to save the rest of the Cullens. Um, I guess we'll find out. And I'm once again going to record on my phone, so here comes the very extremely clear audio. Chapter 38, Power. Chelsea is trying to break our bindings, Edward whispered, but she can't find them. She can't feel us here. His eyes cut to me. Are you doing that? I smiled grimly at him. I am all over this. Edward lurched away from me suddenly, his hand reaching out toward Carlisle. At the same time, I felt a much sharper jab against the shield where it wrapped protectively around Carlisle's light. It wasn't painful, but it wasn't pleasant either. Carlyle, are you all right? Edward gasped frantically. Yes, why? Jane, Edward answered. The moment that he said her name, a dozen pointed attacks hit in a second, stabbing all over the elastic shield aimed at 12 different bright spots. I flexed, making sure the shield was undamaged. It didn't seem like Jane had been able to pierce it. I glanced around quickly. Everyone was fine. Incredible, Edward said. Why aren't they waiting for the decision, Tanya hissed. Normal procedure, Edward answered briskly. They usually incapacitate those on trial so they can't escape. I looked across at Jane, who was staring at our group with furious disbelief. I was pretty sure that, besides me, she'd never seen anyone remain standing through her fiery assault. It probably wasn't very mature, but I figured it would take Arrow about half a second to guess, if he hadn't already, that my shield was much more powerful than Edward had known. I already had a big target on my forehead, and there was really no point in trying to keep the extent of what I could do a secret. So I grinned a huge, smug smile right at Jane. Her eyes narrowed, and I felt another stab of pressure, this time directed at me. I pulled my lips wider, showing my teeth. Jane let out a high-pitched scream of a snarl. Everyone jumped, even the disciplined guard. Everyone but the ancients, who didn't so much as look up from their conference. 
Her twin caught her arm as she crouched to spring. The Romanians started chuckling with dark anticipation. I told you this was our time, Vladimir said to Stefan. Just look at the witch's face, Stefan chortled. Alec patted his sister's shoulder soothingly, then tucked her under his arm. He turned his face to us, perfectly smooth, completely angelic. I waited for some pressure, some sign of his attack, but I felt nothing. He continued to stare in our direction, his pretty face composed. Was he attacking? Was he getting through my shield? Was I the only one who could still see him? I clutched at Edward's hand. Are you okay? I choked out. Yes, he whispered. Is Alec trying? Edward nodded. His gift is slower than Jane's. It creeps. It will touch us in a few seconds. I saw it then when I had a clue of what to look for. A strange, clear haze was oozing across the snow, nearly invisible against the white. He reminded me of a mirage, a slight warping of the view, a hint of a shimmer. I pushed my shield out from Carlisle and the rest of the front line, afraid to have the slinking mist too close when it hit. What if it stole right through my intangible protection? Should we run? A low rumbling murmured through the ground under our feet, and a gust of wind blew the snow into sudden flurries between our position and the Volturi's. Benjamin had seen the creeping threat, too, and now he tried to blow the mist away from us. The snow made it easy to see where he threw the wind, but the mist didn't react in any way. It was like air blowing harmlessly through a shadow. The shadow was immune. The triangular formation of the ancients finally broke apart when, with a racking groan, a deep, narrow fissure opened in, the long, in a long zigzag across the middle of the clearing. The earth rocked under my feet for a moment. The drifts of snow plummeted into the hole, but the mist skipped right across it as untouched by gravity as it had been by wind. Arrow and Caius watched the opening earth with wide eyes. Marcus looked in the same direction without emotion. They didn't speak. They waited, too, as the mist approached us. The wind shrieked louder but didn't change the course of the mist. Jane was smiling now. And then the mist hit a wall. I could taste it as soon as it touched my shield. It had a dense, sweet, cloying flavor. It made me remember dimly the num numbness of Novocaine on my tongue. The mist curled upward, seeking a breach, a weakness. It found none. The fingers of searching haze twisted upward and around, trying to find a way in, and in the process, illustrating the astonishing size of the protective screen. There were gasps on both sides of Benjamin's gorge. Well done, Bella, Benjamin cheered in a low voice. My smile returned. I could see Alec's narrowed eyes, doubt on his face for the first time as his mist swirled harmlessly around the edges of my shield. And then I knew that I could do this. Obviously, I would be the number one priority, the first one to die, but as long as I held, we were on more than equal footing with the Volturi. We still had Benjamin and Zafrina. They had no supernatural help at all, as long as I held. I'm going to have to concentrate, I whispered to Edward. When it comes to hand-to-hand, -to -hand, it's going to be harder to keep the shield around the right people. I'll keep them off you. No, you have to get to Dimitri. Zafrina will keep them away from me. Zafrina nodded solemnly. No one will touch this young one, she promised Edward. I'd go after Jane and Alec myself, but I can do more good here. Jane's mine, Kate hissed. She needs a taste of her own, of her own medicine. And Alec owes me many lives, but I will settle for his, Vladimir growled from the other side. He's mine. I just want Caius, Tanya said evenly. The others started divvying up opponents, too, but they were quickly interrupted. 
Arrow, staring calmly, calmly at Alec's ineffective mist, finally spoke. Before we vote, he began. I shook my head angrily. I was tired of this charade. The bloodlust was igniting in me again, and I was sorry that I would help the others more by standing still. I wanted to fight. Let me remind you, Arrow continued, whatever the council's decision, there need be no violence here. Edward snarled out a dark laugh. Arrow stared at him sadly. It will be a regrettable waste to our kind to lose any of you, but especially you, young Edward, and your newborn mate. The Volturi would be glad to welcome many of you into our ranks. Bella, Benjamin, Safrina, Kate. There are many choices before you. Consider them. Chelsea's attempt to sway us fluttered impotently against my shield. Arrow's gaze swept across our hard eyes, looking for any indication of hesitation. From his expression, he found none. I knew he was desperate to keep Edward and me, to imprison us the way he had hoped to enslave Alice. But this fight was too big. He would not win if I lived. I was fiercely glad to be so powerful that I left him no way not to kill me. Let us vote then, he said with apparent reluctance. Caius spoke with eager haste. The child is an unknown quantity. There is no reason to allow such a risk to exist. It must be destroyed along with all who protect it. He smiled in expectation. I fought back a shriek of defiance to answer his cruel smirk. Marcus lifted his uncaring eyes, seeming to look through us as he voted. I see no immediate danger. The child is safe enough for now. We can always reevaluate later. Let us leave in peace. His voice was even fainter than his brother's feathery sighs. None of the guard relaxed their ready positions at his disagreeing words. Caius's anticipatory grin did not falter. It was as if Marcus hadn't spoken at all. I must make the deciding vote, it seems, Arrow mused. Suddenly, Edward stiffened at my side. Yes, he hissed. I risked a glance at him. His face glowed with an expression of triumph that I didn't understand. It was the expression an angel of destruction might wear while the world burned, beautiful and terrifying. There was a low reaction from the guard, an uneasy murmur. Arrow, Edward called, nearly shouted, undisguised victory in his voice. Arrow hesitated for a second, assessing this new, this new mood warily before he answered. Yes, Edward, you have something further? Perhaps, Edward said pleasantly, controlling his unexplained excitement. First, if I could clarify one point. Certainly, Arrow said, raising his eyebrows, nothing now but polite interest in his tone. My teeth ground together. Arrow was never more dangerous than when he was gracious. The danger you foresee from my daughter, this stems entirely from our inability to guess how she will develop. That is the crux of the matter. Yes, friend Edward, Arrow agreed. If we could but be positive, be sure that as she grows, she will be able to stay concealed from the human world, not endanger the safety of our obscurity. He trailed off, shrugging. So, if we could only know for sure, Edward suggested, exactly what she will become, then there would be no need for a council at all? If there was some way to be absolutely sure, Arrow agreed, his feathery voice slightly more shrill. He couldn't see where Edward was leading him. Neither could I. Then yes, there would be no question to debate. And we would part in peace, good friends, once again? Edward asked with a hint of irony. Even more shrill. Of course, my young friend, nothing would please me more. Pause. What? I, like, I don't... I'm really racking my brain trying to think of what ploy Edward is coming up with. I, 
My thoughts are is that he's going to refer to the wolves. Because I genuinely don't, I can't think of what other alternative he might be thinking of. Like, maybe he's going to discuss this imprinting stuff or, like, the fact that she's going to be with the wolves and that they can't touch her in that way. I, 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 I don't know what else he could be thinking that, like, I'm intrigued. I was expecting there to be a fight immediately. Like, you know, they start off the chapter kind of like things are gearing up, ready to go. And... I was ready for it. I've been I've been ready for it. I saw a little uh like a a gif where it was two very large men and one of them was like flipping the other one from behind his back onto his feet and the guy who was being flipped on his feet like is just like making this big display and the caption was like Edward releasing Bella during the fight with the Volturi, like having her released like as the shield, you know? So I'm picturing like she's about to like fly out and be the shield, which they've introduced that kind of in the beginning. So this is a new direction we're taking that there's going to be some kind of bargaining, perhaps. I'm going to be a little shocked if there's no fighting at all. I was kind of expecting that. But the the tone that we're taking now is a it's very mischievous to me. Edward has something up his sleeves. Um I did want to say I love that they that Stephanie used the word chortle. We need to use the word chortle more. I love that word. Um and I didn't think that Chelsea was the person whose attack was coming in the beginning, but it does make sense to have like a little secret kind of let's try and get them broken up so that this plan sounds better in their eyes um so while I wasn't expecting it it's not surprising to me um seeing Jane being so pissed up pissed the fuck off at Bella also unsurprising seeing them like kind of go head to head was very uh I loved it personally and also Alex power that I'm just picturing him just like turning and looking at you just like completely blank faced pale no expression and to see like this like slow oozing mist like that's spooky that's that was ominous and the image of like a physical shield and I you know you wouldn't think that his power would have a physical kind of display to it to see both Bella and his powers physically shown off like that, I think is super, super cool. And kind of, it really does a little bit show the the Cullen side's hand, so to speak, that like, yeah, this is what Bella can do, bitch. Say it to my motherfucking face, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I love that moment with Bella and Jane as well. I don't know. It just feels like very like 19 year old of Bella to do. And also I feel like I'd do the same thing where she's like smiles at her. Like, it's just so funny. Like it's one of the few times I've seen Bella kind of be like, I don't know if selfish is the right word, but just kind of like a little bit immature, you know? You know, the feeling when you're playing bullshit and you've counted the cards and you know, you're going to win. Like the number that's coming up to you is your number for your last card and there's nothing anyone can do to stop you from winning. And you know, like, that's the feeling that Bella is feeling right now. Just that, like, smirk smugness. I love it. It's delicious. 
Um, I also thought it was very bold of Arrow to still ask, literally point blank ask them if they wanted to join the Volturi, and there's just like crickets. <laughs> like, what the fuck? I'm also dead at this like beef that like everyone has with different individual members of the Volturi. Like, what is who is it, Vladimir or the other uh R- Romanian that doesn't like Chaos for some reason? Like, what's that? I don't know. No, Vladimir doesn't like Alec, and then Tanya is clearly pissed about Chaos because he killed Irina. Right. I was thinking Alec, and I said Chaos. You're right. Yeah. But uh, yeah. But still, like, no clarification. Yeah, there's no... I want the backstory of that a little bit. <laughs> I would I would love to hear it. <laughs> okay, should we continue? Let's do it. So I'll just read a, little, a few lines of what we already read. And we would part in peace, good friends, once again, Edward asked with a hint of irony. Even more shrill. Of course, my young friend, nothing would please me more. Edward chuckled exultantly. Then I do have something more to offer. Arrow's eyes narrowed. She is absolutely unique. Her future can only be guessed at. Not absolutely unique, Edward disagreed. Rare, certainly, but not one of a kind. I fought the shock, the sudden hope springing to life as it threatened to distract me. The sickly-looking mist still swirled around the edges of my shield, and, as I struggled to focus, I felt again the sharp, stabbing pressure against my protective hold. Arrow, would you ask Jane to stop attacking my wife? Edward said courteously. We are still discussing evidence. Arrow raised one hand. Peace, dear ones, let us hear him out. The pressure disappeared. Jane bared her teeth at me. I couldn't help grinning back at her. Why don't you join us, Alice? Edward called loudly. Alice, as May whispered in shock. Alice! Alice, Alice, Alice. Alice, Alice! It literally says it that many times. Other voices murmured around me. Alice, Arrow breathed. Relief and violent joy surged through me. It took all my will to keep the shield where it was. Alex missed, still tested, seeking a weakness. Jane would see if I left any holes. And then I heard them running through the forest, flying, closing the distance as quickly as they could with no slowing effort at silence. Both sides were motionless in expectation. The Volturi witnesses scowled in fresh confusion. Then Alice danced into the clearing from the southwest, and I felt like the bliss of seeing her face again might knock me off my feet. Jasper was only inches behind her, his sharp eyes fierce. Close after them ran three strangers. The first was a tall, muscular female with wild, dark hair, obviously Kachiri. She had the same elongated limbs and features as the other Amazons, even more pronounced in her case. The next was a small, olive-toned female vampire with a long braid of black hair bobbing against her back. Her deep, burgundy eyes flitted nervously around the confrontation before her. And the last was a young man, not quite as fast nor quite as fluid in his run. His skin was an impossible rich, dark brown. His wary eyes flashed across the the gathering, and they were the color of warm teak. His hair was black and braided too, like the woman's, though not as long. He was beautiful. As he neared us, a new sound sent shock waves through the watching crowd. The sound of another heartbeat accelerated with exertion. Alice leaped lightly over the edges of the dissipating mist that lapped at my shield and came to a sinuous stop at Edward's side. I reached out to touch her arm, and so did Edward, Esme, and Carlyle. There wasn't time for any other welcome. Jasper and the others followed her through the shield. 
All the guard watched, speculation in their eyes, as the latecomers crossed the invisible border without difficulty. The brawny ones, Felix and the others like him, focused their suddenly hopeful eyes on me. They had not been sure of what my shield repelled, but it was clear now that it would not stop a physical attack. As soon as Arrow gave the order, the blitz would ensue, me the only object. I wondered how many Zafrina would be able to blind, and how much that would slow them. Long enough for Kate and Vladimir to take Jane and Alec out of the equation, that was all I could ask for. Edward, despite his absorption in the coup he was directing, stiffened furiously in response to their thoughts. He controlled himself and spoke to Arrow again. Alice has been searching for her own witnesses these last weeks, he said to the ancient, and she does not come back empty-handed. Alice, why don't you introduce the witnesses you've brought? Caius snarled. The time for witnesses is past. Cast your vote, Arrow. Arrow raised one finger to silence his brother, his eyes glued to Alice's face. Alice stepped forward lightly and introduced the strangers. This is Helen and her nephew, Noel. Hearing her voice, it was like she'd never left. Caius's eyes tightened as Alice named the relationship between the newcomers. The Volturi witnesses hissed among them, amongst themselves. The vampire world was changing, and everyone could feel it. Speak, Helen, Arrow commanded. Give us the witness you were brought to bear. The slight woman looked to Alice nervously. Alice nodded, nodded in encouragement, and Kachiri put her long hand on the little vampire's shoulder. I am Helen, the woman announced in clear but strangely accented English. As she continued, it was apparent she had prepared herself to tell the story that she had practiced. It flowed like a well-known nursery rhyme. A century and a half ago, I lived with my people, the Mapuche. My sister was Pire. Our parents named her after the snow on the mountains because of her fair skin. And she was very beautiful, too beautiful. She came to me one day in secret and told me of the angel that found her in the woods that visited her by night. I warned her. He then shook her head mournfully, as if the bruises on her skin were not warning enough. I knew it was the libishomen of our legends, but she would not listen. She was bewitched. She told me when she was sure her dark angel's child was growing inside her. I didn't try to discourage her from her plans to run away. I, know, I knew even our father and mother would agree that the child must be destroyed. Pire with it. I went, I went with her into the deepest parts of the forest. She searched for her demon angel, but found nothing. I cared for her, hunted for her when her strength failed. She ate the animals raw, drinking their blood. I needed no more confirmation of what she carried in her womb. I hoped to save her life before I killed the monster. But she loved the child inside her. She called him Noel, after the jungle cat, when he grew strong and broke her bones, and loved him still. I could not save her. The child ripped his way free of her, and she died quickly, begging all the while that I would care for her Noel, her dying wish, and I agreed. He bit me, though, when I tried to lift him from her body. I crawled away into the jungle to die. I didn't get far. The pain was too much. But he found me. The newborn child struggled through the underbrush to my side and waited for me. When the pain ended, he was curled against my side, sleeping. I cared for him until he was able to hunt for himself. We hunted the villages around our forest, staying to ourselves. We have never come so far from our home, but Noel wanted or wished to see the child here. He then bowed her head when she was finished and moved back so she was partially hidden behind Kachiri. Arrow's lips were pursed. He stared at the dark-skinned youth. 
Noel, you are 150 years old, he questioned. Give or take a decade, he answered in a clear, beautifully warm voice. His accent was barely noticeable. We don't keep track. And you reach maturity at what age? About seven years after my birth, more or less, I was fully grown. You have not changed since then? Noel shrugged. Not that I've noticed. I felt a shudder tremble through Jacob's body. I didn't want to think about this yet. I would wait till the danger was past and I could concentrate. And your diet? Arrow pressed, seeming interested in spite of himself. Mostly blood, but some human food too. I can survive on either. You were able to create an immortal? As Arrow gestured at Helen, his voice was abruptly intense. I refocused on my shield. Perhaps he was seeking a new excuse. Yes, but none of the rest can. A shocked murmur ran through all three groups. Arrow's eyebrows shot up. The rest? My sisters, Noel shrugged again. Arrow stared wildly for a moment before composing his face. Perhaps you would tell us the rest of your story, for there seems to be more. Pause. I forgot Alice was up to no good. I I mean, obviously it was good. Um, but wow, 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 wow. This is like wild. I, you know, there was absolutely no hint as to what Alice was up to. I mean, we knew she was taking Zafrina's sister, I'm assuming. Yeah, okay. But there was no explanation as to what her powers were, if she had powers at all. It still is unclear if she does. I kind of have a theory that maybe she has this, like, language ability or this, like, I'm not sure. But I, I just don't know why she would take her. Maybe because she's from Brazil and knows the native language. I guess, I don't know if Portuguese is the native, it's not the native language in Brazil. In my head, I'm picturing this as an indigenous language that the sisters speak. Um, but anyways, this is quite fascinating to hear that the experience of Bella and Edward has been lived before because it was kind of briefly mentioned when Bella realized that she could be pregnant, that in her research, that there was possibly these stories of lore of women being impregnated by vampires or female succubuses, you know, like this, that, the other. But there wasn't anything substantiated that these pregnancies or anything like that would come to fruition at all. To hear that it is real? I'm I'm flabbergasted. I'm very excited. This is this to me is airtight. This to me like this is the evidence we need. What are you going to do now, Arrow? Like at this point if they start a fight, it's malicious and that's that. Like the evidence is here to show that Renesmee will grow, really. There's more to be known. We're clearly going to get a little bit more to the story, but this is so interesting. Like this is great evidence good on good job alice mvp of the of the book right here you save the day possibly perhaps we'll see um i i love the flabbergastness of everyone as soon as you said alice did you see my face like i saw it out of the corner of my eye but i was trying to focus but i was like oh she shook <laughs> like i knew that like as soon as you said alice's name i was like oh yeah what was she doing? There was something going on with her. So I'm just, 
I'm very, I'm feeling very excited now that maybe, maybe there is going to be an outcome here where there is no fighting. I don't, like, I don't know. I mean, there isn't that many pages left. What else is going to happen? I'm excited. Let's see. We will see. I want to make a couple quick notes before I move on. First of all, it goes without saying that commenting on people's accents, you should just never do it. Also, they speak perfect English and probably whatever indigenous indigenous language page was mentioning. So they're smarter than the rest of us. This this goes, I feel like, to like all Americans. Like if you ever have the luxury of traveling to a country outside of the United States, you will see that a lot of a lot of people are bilingual. Just like, just from education, just from the education system. Oh, want to learn French? Oh, want to learn Spanish? Oh, want to learn English? Yeah, let's go for it. Let's do it. We are the silly, goofy ones. It's also like super cool to be bilingual or trilingual, anything like that. Yeah, and it's also like extremely brave of them because as Helen says, they've never like left their little area and it's extremely brave of them to, like, put themselves out there for literal strangers. You can hear the way that Stephanie describes her distant, her mis, I almost said disdemeanor, her misdemeanor, her. I think it's misdemeanor. You're right. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I almost said it. Um, the way that she describes her demeanor, the way that she describes her hesitancy to to speak. And I mean, if you think about it. Do we think that they even know about the Volturi? Why would they why would they know about the Volturi? Perhaps there's been there have been travelers, and I mean maybe they've traveled outside of where they live, but to me, the way that Stephanie has built the story, it really makes it seem like it's like a closed society to me, that they have no need to travel outside of where they live. So this might be a whole completely foreign concept to them, this like governmental vampire police like to and i i don't know how much they've seen or heard from all of this also how does edward know that alice is doing this i'm that's another point in of itself but like back to what i was saying it is so courageous to come into just a question mark situation with all of these very domineering characters and to just like kind of put yourself out there that is like it's so brave it really is brave and to answer your edward question i'm assuming that as alice is running in because edward has a farther radius for thoughts than vampires do for hearing that she's like we found another one we're coming hang in there like we're almost there you know i guess but i also for some reason i kind of thought that like i mean I don't know. I kind of thought that Edward would be more so like paying attention to the situation at hand rather than like hearing things that are going on outside. But I suppose if it's Alice and she's running into the clearing and it's like a big deal, you probably if you're so used to hearing your sister and so used to like her her thoughts and her her voice that that would kind of like break through everything else that's going on yeah he comments in one of the books i can't remember which one but he says like the more familiar he gets with like a person's quote-unquote mental voice like the easier it is for them to hear 
her, for him to hear them from like longer distances. So I feel like that's probably why. Yeah, I think you're right. And in my head, I'm like, I'm picturing this is like the biggest moment of my life. And my sister is trying to like send me a message. And it's something like mom yelled at me again or something like that. Like, I don't know if I would be hearing it because like I'm about to be murdered by people. But obviously this is a completely different situation. And obviously what Alice is saying is like vitally important. So I'm sure she like has a mental megaphone that's like. Edward, we are coming, like you said, so. Yeah, totally. Um, A couple just quick actual facts before we move on. I don't think it will shock you to find out that Stephanie made more shit up about indigenous people. What? Yeah, I decided to do a little bit of fact checking on what is presented to us in this little section of the chapter. Um, The Mapuche people, which is what Helen says that they are part of, did not live in Brazil ever. They lived in Chile and Argentina. So that's wrong. Also, you may remember that earlier in the book, they had referenced the Tacuna people. Those people like live in the Amazon region, which like, as you know, Brazil is a huge country. So Amazon's like way up in the north. And Isle Esme, where they're like staying, is like completely on the other side of the country. So it's like California versus like, Louisiana like they're not close you know mm-hmm. and finally um it's just mentioned briefly but Helen references the legend of the Libishomen, which is clearly like a vampire in their legends not real Stephanie made that up in fact it's very close to the word Lobisomen, which is Portuguese for werewolf not vampire so it's like she was like, eh, this is close enough. I'll just make it think, I'll make it mean what I want it to mean. As soon as you said lobis, I was like lobos. That's literally the Spanish word for wolf. Yeah. So I just wanted to like put the facts out there that all of this was actually incorrect, as is Stephanie's habit. I would, I would pose a question on that, that. I could maybe stretch my brain if I wanted to if I wanted to give Stephanie a morsel of benefit of the doubt, which I don't want to do. I will just put it out there. But I suppose if you were Alice and you were trying to find witnesses, you might go to Brazil and say, hey, this is what I'm looking for. Have you heard anything about it? Could we maybe do some exploring? And maybe you end up in Chile or Argentina. I think Argentina neighbors Brazil. I think that they share a border. So I suppose if you if you wanted to like maybe try and be on Stephanie's side, you could say maybe they've heard stories from other countries and go and travel. However, I don't think Stephanie is allowed the benefit of the doubt, given her track record. I will say I think she was lucky in that there's a reasonable explanation. And I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I can't. I I hate to, like, argue with you or anything. I'm not arguing with you because I don't actually know. But I was reading all this information in a forum, like a fan forum. And this one user had done all this research already. And I am assuming that so in the illustrated guide that Stephanie released with the series there's like an entry on all the characters 
And I feel like, although I would not swear to it, that it probably says that Helen and Noel are from Brazil in that. So therefore, like, she is kind of claiming that. You know what I mean? I, But again, I don't know for sure. And I would not be surprised at all if that was the case. I, Like I said, I would be happy to give you the benefit of the doubt if you've earned that. You've had four books to earn that and time after time after time five books to earn that and time after time after time after time you've shown that you don't want to do research you don't want to show any kind of like historical accuracy or appreciation for the cultures that you're just deciding to use in your stories so I don't think you've earned the benefit of the doubt amen okay we only have a few pages left so let's hear the rest of Noel's story Noelle frowned. My father came looking for me a few years after my mother's death. His handsome face distorted slightly. He was pleased to find me. Noelle's tone suggested the feeling was not mutual. He had two daughters, but no sons. He expected me to join him, as my sisters had. He was surprised I was not alone. My sisters are not venomous, but whether that's due to gender or a random chance, who knows? I already had my family with Helen, and I was not interested he twisted the word, in making a change. I see him from time to time. I have a new sister. She reached maturity about 10 years back. Your father's name? Caius asked through gritted teeth. Yoham, Noel answered. He considers himself a scientist. He thinks he's creating a new super race. He made no attempt to disguise the disgust in his tone. Caius looked at me. Your daughter, is she venomous? He demanded harshly. No, I responded. Noel's head snapped up at Arrow's question, and his teak eyes turned to bore into my face. Caius looked to Arrow for confirmation, but Arrow was absorbed in his own thoughts. He pursed his lips and stared at Carlyle, and then Edward, and at last his eyes rested on me. Caius growled. We take care of the aberration here, and then follow it south, he urged Arrow. Arrow stared into my eyes for a long, tense moment. I had no idea what he was searching for, or what he found, But after he had measured me for that moment, something in his face changed, a faint shift in the set of his mouth and eyes, and I knew that Arrow had made his decision. Brother, he said softly to Caius, there appears to be no danger. This is an unusual development, but I see no threat. These half-vampire children are much like us, it appears. Is that your vote? Caius demanded. It is. Caius scowled. And this Yoham, this immortal so fond of experimentation? Perhaps we should speak with him, Arrow agreed. Stop Yoham if you will, Noel said flatly, but leave my sisters be. They are innocent. Arrow nodded, his expression solemn, and then he turned back to his guard with a warm smile. Dear ones, he called, we do not fight today. The guard nodded in unison and straightened out of their ready positions. The mist dissipated swiftly, but I held my shield in place. Maybe this was another trick. I analyzed their expressions as Arrow turned back to us. His face was as benign as ever, but unlike before, I sensed a strange blankness behind the facade, as if his scheming was over. Caius was clearly incensed, but his rage was turned inward now. He was resigned. Marcus looked bored. There was really no other word for it. The guard was impassive and disciplined again. There were no individuals among them, just the whole. They were in formation, ready to, to depart. The Volturi witnesses were still wary. One after another, they departed, scattering into the woods. As their numbers dwindled, the remaining sped up. Soon they were all gone. 
Arrow held his hands out to us, almost apologetic. Behind him, the larger part of the guard, along with Caius, Marcus, and the silent, mysterious wives, were already drifting quickly away, their formation precise once again. Only the three that seemed to be his personal guardians lingered with him. I'm so glad that this could be resolved without violence, he said sweetly. My friend, Carlyle, how pleased I am to call you friend again. I hope there are no hard feelings. I know you understand the strict burden that our duty places on our shoulders. Leave in peace, Arrow, Carlyle said stiffly. Please remember that we still have our anonymity to protect here and keep your guard from hunting in this region. Of course, Carlyle, Arrow assured him. I am sorry to earn your disapproval, my dear friend. Perhaps in time you will forgive me. Perhaps in time if you prove a friend to us again. Arrow bowed his head, the picture of remorse, and drifted backward for a moment before he turned around. We watched in silence as the last four Volturi disappeared into the trees. Last little break. Color me shocked. I really am a little, I'm a lot bit shocked that there was no fight. That was a lot of buildup. Um, I do gotta say, uh, yo, was it Johan with an N or Johan with an M? With an M, and it's J O H A M. So I assumed Johan. Okay. Don't like that guy. Um, when I don't know if you were watching my expressions at all when you were reading, but when Arrow was like, maybe we should pay him a visit. I'm like. Yeah, maybe we should pay that I'm creating a super race of people person a visit. That's a little problematic. Wouldn't we say, Stephanie? I don't know. That was gross to hear. Um, I'm glad if if the Volturi stick with it, that they'll keep the sisters. They'll protect the sisters. They won't, you know, harm them because like Nawal said, they are innocent. I mean, none none of them asked to be born or created like that. I do really appreciate Nawell's like, like I guess reading of kind of a what kind of a shitty person his dad is. Like I I love that he has his own claimed family that he chooses, and you know there's there's that old expression like blood is thicker than water but like it's it's really supposed to say like you know that the 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 relationships you create are the like the real strongest relationships that you have and to see him really stick up for this chosen family of his which I mean I guess they're kind of blood related in a way um but he could have this like powerful vampire family but he chooses the family that's like really cared for him and aren't shitty people. Um, so I stand with Nawel. Um, and I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna second what I said when I started. I'm a little shocked that this is all happening. Also, snip, snap, snop. Carlisle is serving the tea of the century at the end, where he's like. You'll be our friend when you act like you deserve it. I don't know if you saw my reaction to that, but I was like, mm-hmm, yes, sir. Carlisle is spilling it. I do stand by that. I low-key feel like, and I hate to say it, but it's true, Carlisle is serving cunt. 
pussy cunt slay queen uh, Carlisle. Anyways. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to think if there was anything else that was like really pressing in that. I uh, the 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 long stare that Arrow and Bella shared was a little like creepy in a way. I'm also like, how do you come back after this? Like, how do you? I guess, I mean, if you think about it, it's been it was been revealed in this book that Carlisle hasn't seen the Volturi in like a hundred years or so. If if everyone is staying in their own lanes, neither party has any reason to see the other. So like I guess in theory they'll never have to encounter each other again. But how awkward would that be? Like, hey guys, we were just passing through. We were hoping to visit Moab and we were just kind of like we just decided to drive through this way and thought we might say hi. Sorry about what happened like 75 years ago. That was a little awkward, huh? Like, how do you get over that? And also, I am still dead that the wives had to come to this shit. There is an iconic scene of Stanley from The Office where he's the guy. He's Are, are you familiar with his character? Yeah. There's a scene where he's sitting in the conference room and he... His, historically through the show does not like sitting in these stupid conference room meetings. They're always pointless. And this particular meeting is actually something that he wants to be there for. And Michael is like, Stanley, get out of here. You don't need to be here for this. And Stanley's like, no, actually I want to stay here for this. And Michael basically like, is like Stanley, get the fuck out of here. Like, we don't wait, get out of here. Like you don't need to be here. And Stanley just like, and like, the biggest sigh possible and like just gets up out of his chair and leaves and I'm like this is what the wives are feeling right now like why did we come to this shit we had to get up for no good reason and come to this stinky America for this and now we're just going home I'm sick of it yeah and they're ancient too so it's like it must be tiring (laughs) they were resting their bones exactly did you ever, side subject, um, did you ever, like, when you were falling asleep on the couch and your parents would be like, don't fall asleep on the couch, go to your bed, and you'd be like, I'm just resting my eyes, or was that just me? Um, I didn't usually sleep on the couch, to be quite honest, but resting my eyes was a common, um, my mom would say that a lot, because my grandpa said that a lot. Yeah, I feel like I've been old since I was born, but anyway, that's a separate subject. Um. I do feel like the Volturi have egg on their face a little bit. Like, everybody was there, you know what I mean? You know that one audio where it's like... No. Oh, okay, never mind. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to finish this because we have a page and a half left. It was very quiet. I did not drop my shield. Is it really over? I whispered to Edward. I almost said Edward. <laughs> His smile was huge. Yes, they've given up. Like all bullies, they're cowards underneath the swagger. He chuckled. Alice laughed. Alice laughed with him. Seriously, people, they're not coming back. Everybody can relax now. There was another beat of silence. Of all the rotten luck, Stefan muttered. And then it hit. Cheers erupted. Deafening howls filled the clearing. Maggie pounded Siobhan on the back. 
Rosalie and Emmett kissed again, longer and more ardently than before. Benjamin and Tia were locked in each other's arms, as were Carmen and Eleazar. Esme held Alice and Jasper in a tight embrace. Carlyle was warmly thanking the South American newcomers who had saved us all. Kachiri stood very close to Zafrina and Senna, their fingertips interlocked. Garrett picked Kate up off the ground and swung her around in a circle. Stefan spit on the snow. Vladimir ground his teeth together with a sour expression. And I half climbed the giant russet wolf to rip my daughter off his back and then crushed her to my chest. Edward's arms were around us in the same second. Nessie, 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 I crooned. Jacob laughed his big, barky laugh and poked the back of my head with his nose. Shut up, I mumbled. I get to stay with you, Nessie demanded. Forever, I promised her. We had forever, and Nessie was going to be fine and healthy and strong. Like the half-human Noel, in 150 years she would still be young, and we would all be together. Happiness expanded like an explosion inside me, so extreme, so violent, I wasn't sure I'd survive it. Forever, Edward echoed in my ear. I couldn't speak anymore. I lifted my head and kissed him with a passion that might possibly set the forest on fire. I wouldn't have noticed. End of chapter. Leave it to Bella to... I'm just going to say, leave it to Bella to, like, have a really intense makeout with her husband with her daughter in her arms. That's, like, so awkward for the daughter. She literally was like, we have forever. May as well take advantage of this singular moment to put my tongue in my husband's mouth. I... I mean, I get it. I get it. You just survived death. I get it. Sometimes things go out the window. I'm happy. I'm happy that no one died, I guess. I, you know, I I was ex- not expecting that. I, I'm also, like, I'm kind of, like, dead that Stephanie introduced all these, like, powerful, insanely talented characters, and none of it mattered. Like, they could have been, like, none of them could have had superpowers, and it was just Bella, and they would have been fine. That's hilarious to me. But you know what? It's the friends that we made along the journey that really matters. Um, The real winner in all of this? Who are are we going to guess is the real winner in all of this? Garrett. Garrett is number two for real winner, for, for sure. He got a girlfriend. And he has the BDSM relationship that he's always wanted. The real winner is Jay fucking Jenks right now, sitting on his $50,000 of liquid cash for something that didn't fucking matter. No child was kidnapped. No one has to do anything illegal. And he gets $50,000. Good for him. You got me there. (laughs) That was my main question for you. Did you like it? Like the book as a whole? Like this outcome. I'm happy for them. I'm happy that like it was the even better than the best case scenario. But I kind of I was kind of excited for the big battle to see all the powers at play. You know, like I I'm happy that no one died, I guess. But I also was kind of like, I was ready for it. You know, like my my blood was pumping, like my muscles were tight, like I was ready for the big battle. And 
Stephanie really set me up to think that there was going to be this big battle introducing all these powerful characters, you know? So I am a little disappointed that it wasn't as action-packed, but I'm happy that the characters were happy, I guess. Yeah, I have to be honest, it kind of pained me to hear you, like, predicting for the past few episodes, like, who's going to die and whatnot. I was like, it's going to be so lame compared to what you think. And, like, you know, I'm happy, too, that nobody died. But also, I'm like, eh, too easy. (laughs) One of my favorite authors, the Redwall series author, Brian Jakes, I think that's how his last name is pronounced. He made a point to say... Because a lot of characters in his books die, but every book has, like, its own standalone book. So there's, like, 50 characters in each book. He says, like, you know, the books that I write aren't Disney movies. Like, death happens in the real world. And, you know, especially when there's a lot of conflict like this, like, it's unrealistic that no one would suffer some kind of, like, hardship like that or lose a life. So I just want to make it realistic. And... I kind of thought that it was going to be like that, to be quite honest. Yeah, I mean, I do. I guess we should acknowledge that Irina did die. But other than that. Yeah, sorry to Irina. I kind of, you know, I feel bad. Rest in peace. I do hate that Bella acquiesced to Nessie. I still am anti that nickname. Yeah, I hated reading it. It left a sour taste in my mouth. Mm. The Loch Ness Monster deserves better. I did see a tweet the other day that I thought you would really enjoy. That was like, people forget that in the olden days, people didn't have glasses. And so someone else commented on that and was like, the Loch Ness Monster was literally a log. (laughs) It made me laugh. I saw a meme today on Facebook that was someone had drone, 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 Someone had drawn, like, they were like, it was titled, like, Memories from the Twilight Movies, as I remember them. And they drew Renesme as a baby with all the sparkling, and then underneath it just wrote Resume. Yeah, that's really funny. A friend of the Pot Gem called her something funny in our Twitter DMs a while back. I'm gonna look for it. I do also want to say that many episodes ago, like, maybe even an eclipse or new moon. You said that Hannah sent you something absolutely disgusting and that you couldn't show me because it was a huge spoiler. And I want to know what it was. I feel like I might have blocked it from my mind. But it might have been that, oh, you know what I think it was, is that there's like a rumor going around that I get, it's not like um, confirmed, but that Stephanie is writing a book centered on Jacob and Renesme. We do not want it. Two thumbs down, says critics across the nation. (laughs) Anyways, was that it from this chapter? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it was, I I was prepared to say a lot, but then Stephanie took it away from me, so. So next week we are reading the final chapter of Breaking Dawn, chapter 39. It's called The Happily Ever After. What do you think is going to happen, Paige? For the final time. Oh my god, what if this is a fucking wedding scene with Jacob and Renesmee? I feel like it's going to be significantly in the future. Like, like, a hundred years in the future. Maybe. Maybe. We'll see. Maybe like 50 years. Maybe 20 years. I don't know. But I think there's going to be a time jump. I think 
to show that really there was a happy ending. You know, like it could be like a month from now, but you know, that isn't to say that the Volturi would stick by that. So to show like a significant time jump would show that things really did turn out good and that there wasn't conflict in the future and that there was a happy outcome with Renesmee. And she did grow older, but she didn't age significantly. And I think that that's going to be major. Obviously, there's going to be more Edward Bella kissing. If there's breath conversation, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, we couldn't end this book without another mention of hot breath. Um, perhaps we'll see some, like, how the pack turned out. Um, there was, like, so little of the pack in this this past chapter. Like, no mention of anyone except Jacob. So, like, I guess we'll be I'll be curious to see how the werewolves age and, you know, like... You know, just thinking about it, the characters who are those that were imprinted on will age. You know, they're just regular humans. So, you know, if there is a significant time jump seeing these partners of the wolves as older individuals, I really hope we see Charlie again. I can't guarantee it. It would be nice. But if it's significantly in the future, I can't say for certain. I do miss him. It would be nice. Um... But yeah, I think this is going to be very much the dark blue, everything turned out the way I wanted it to kind of an ending. And I mean, how this chapter ended, like, yeah, Stephanie's going to wrap it up real nice, I think. Yeah, I liked that old dark blue poem, that rhyme you had there. It was funny. Did it rhyme, really? Yeah. I think you said dark blue, everything ended up how I wanted it to, or something like that. Wow, Mrs. Shakespeare over here. <laughs> um, okay, so Paige is going to go over our socials in a minute. But first of all, patrons and donors, we will be letting you know super soon when we are going to be watching Breaking Dawn part one or part two all together on Discord um, in the live chat. We have not finalized the date yet, but we are getting close. Um, we're not going to actually vote on it this time because we're actually trying to do it in person, which is a little bit harder for us to organize, but we're trying to pick a day that will work for a lot of people. So stay tuned, but we rest assured we will have a grand old time with you all watching it at the same time and chatting on discord. We have to see Rami Malik together. I want to see his cute face. Yes. Yes, definitely. Will you go him the socials and tell them how they can be part of that if they haven't joined in yet? Yes. So obviously, most importantly, send us memes. Send them on Instagram and at Tumblr at Tuesdays Are for Twilight. You can send us anything on Twitter at Taft Pod. If you'd like to send us something more long form, something a little more in detail, you can email us at Tuesdays Are for Twilight at gmail.com. To be included in the Patreon events, you could donate to the Patreon at patreon.com slash or I guess Patreon event singular sad um anyways patreon.com slash Tuesdays are for Twilight and also to be included you can also donate to an amazingly awesome cause and help support just a really great group of people and that's the Quilliots and their efforts to move their cultural land to higher ground they have been so integral not them, because Stephanie has created a fake group of people. But the actual Quilliot people are a great group of people that should be supported. 
spread the word on their behalf. You can find out more and donate at www.mthg.org. And we are still asking if you'd like to ask us any lingering questions that you might have. If you want to add any thoughts, share anything that you'd like us to read. We, we want to read those, ask, answer those questions, ask those questions. I don't know. We'll see. But we're asking for any kind of input, anything that you all want to share with us for our very last episode. And you can reach out on any of those social medias to ask those questions. Thank you very much, Paige. What are you going to leave them with this week? I have something kind of long, I guess, to share and something kind of serious. Um, and I, it's not a joke. I know I've said that in the past and it has been a joke. This is not a joke. Um, but something something happened to me uh, last week that just really, like, affected me. And I just, like... I just was thinking about it and I've been thinking about maybe sharing this on the pod, just the general concept of it and this event happening to me and how it affected me made me want to say something on the pod for all to hear. And I can, I can make a safe bet that in our little Taft community of both listeners and also hosts, let's be honest, that we're just a big group of some neurodivergent people. And I just want to put it out there that if you are self-diagnosed, that you are still valid, your experiences are still valid. Um, A doctor doesn't need to sign off to say the truth that you know is your life and your experiences are what you experienced. Um, I personally, um, have been like recently doing a lot of research and just kind of going down rabbit holes and kind of doing a little self-discovery myself. And I've kind of come to the conclusion and I've been kind of thinking about that I might be on the spectrum. And that's not a bad thing or a weird thing. I just I watched a very insightful video that had a like a very specific symptom that I didn't realize was a symptom. And I was like, hmm, that's interesting. That's like weirdly something that I've been dealing with my whole life. And the more that I've like done research and looked into it, I'm like, oh, wow. A lot of this lines up with the way that I've been my entire life. And I just think I, it's been so insightful to me to like learn that there I wasn't just a weird kid, that there's a reason for the things that I've always done, a reason for the way that I've been acting. And it's been kind of like almost exciting to me in a way to like find out that there's other people who've experienced what I experience. And it's been almost it's just been so insightful to me. And I know that it's like so it's like so hot right now on social media, like everyone has autism now and it's like this whole thing. But like, here's the dealio, here's here's a little dealio, is that it's been so undiagnosed in women historically and also so underrepresented in women. And now that social media is just like so accessible to people and people are able to spread their, you know, messages, I guess, it's allowing information to be more accessible. I think that people are just, women especially, but a lot of people are finding out like, oh, 
this is like not just me experiencing these things. Like there's a reason for it. And the whole reason I'm bringing this up is that uh, last week I was chatting with someone who I consider I'm very close with and like a good friend of mine. And she was just kind of talking about how she was very angry and upset with how everyone is autistic now and that it's taking away resources from actually autistic people and that self-diagnosed people are just kind of making it up, so to speak. And it, I decided to speak my truth and kind of say like the things that I've just expressed that, you know, it's really undiagnosed and underrepresented in women and all the things that I just said, I said to her. And then I decided to share with her that I think I might be on the spectrum. And she said some really not nice things to me about that. And that essentially like the long and short of it was like, you're not, that's not, that's not true. You're just weird. Like you're, you just had quirks. Like that's, you're, you're blowing it out of proportion basically. And she was the first person that I shared that with and to immediately have it like completely negated and to be told that my experiences were not valid and were, I remembered them wrong or I misconstrued them was very devastating to me um, because I just felt so enlightened that I had an answer, I guess. And I just, you know, I don't want people who maybe are discovering things about themselves to feel like they're any less of a person because they don't have a doctor signing off, signing off on it. And I also don't want it to people who actually have been diagnosed by a doctor. I'm not trying to say that you're any less of a neurodivergent person or your experiences are invalid either. I just feel like we got to be a community for each other and you know, I don't want anyone to feel like just because maybe there's a lot of reasons why someone might not be diagnosed, whether it be economic reasons, the fact that women are never taken serious in any kind of medical setting. Mental illness in general is not taken serious in medical settings. Um, And I just don't want anyone to feel the way that I felt. I know my own truth for my own experiences. And I know that we have a lot of listeners here who I'm sure express know the same feeling, but I just want people to know that even if you're self-diagnosed, you are valid and your experiences are yours. They're not tools to be for people to use to bring you down. They are your experiences. They're your truth. And yeah, I don't, I, uh, I'm going to do the Stephanie Meyer and I don't know how to do a conclusion. And that's that. Well, I just want to first of all say thank you for sharing that page. Um, It takes a lot of vulnerability and a lot of courage to share that in a public forum. And I really appreciate that you felt safe enough to share that with me and with our listeners. Um, I think I can speak for all of us when I say, like, you will 100,000% be accepted here. I will not stand for any of that denial bullshit. And... I also want you to know that like it really matters that you're sharing this on a public forum. Like I know we're not famous and we don't have like a million followers, but like this kind of thing really matters to people when they can hear other people kind of sharing in their experiences. And, 
you know, it just, yeah, it's really important and it's really brave and I really, really appreciate it. And I obviously we love all of our listeners and I I don't know if any of our listeners, if that's something that you've experienced, but it's something new to me and something I'm learning more and more about. And if anyone has any relatable things to share, I'd love to hear it. So just know that like I'm on your side, Emily's on your side, and you are also on your own side and we will fight anyone who isn't. And that's that. I lift weights for a reason, and it's to fight off all of your haters. <laughs> Paige, is mock, Paige is mock punching the computer. But yeah, thank you again, Paige. And we're excited to have y'all join us next week for the last chapter of Breaking Dawn. Bye, y'all. Bye. Our amazing intro and outro music was performed by Danny Plowman and produced by Alberto Beltran. You can follow Danny at Danimal6, and that's six the word, not six the number, Danimal6 underscore on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs>